Hey there, it's Carolyn. Before we start today's podcast, I wanted to tell you about a brand new challenge that we have starting over in the Homestead Kitchen membership really soon. This one is all about making your very own herbal oils and culinary oils and cosmetic oils and turning them into salves and balms for your herbal medicine cabinet. If you're interested in joining me for the Herbal Oils and Salves Challenge, then go to homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Again, that's homesteadingfamily.com forward slash podcast dash herbal oils. Hey, you guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Pantry Chat Food for Thought. I am excited to have with me today Patrick Rohrman of MT Knives. Uh, Patrick is a, I would say, master knife maker. I'm not sure that he'll use that terminology. He can clear for us, but um, he is a fantastic knife maker. Um, he's also an instructor for the School of Traditional Skills. And uh, we're just here to talk about knives a little bit and care of knives and, you know, what kind of knives you should be using in your homestead and kind of anything knives. So this is going to be a fun discussion. And um, but first, like you guys know, we always like to catch up what's going on on the homestead. And so, Patrick, welcome. How you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on here and look forward to discussing all things sharp with you. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you make all things sharp. That is for sure. <laughs> tree topping sharp as you can explain to us in a little bit um you know but before we get into talking about knives we always like to give people a glimpse kind of into the homestead you're a homesteader as well and kind of living that life and um so you know what's going on for you right now i know you just bought a piece of property and i think you guys are kind of working towards transition so just just tell us, uh, you know, like what's happening and, and are you, do you have to put all your homesteading activities aside or are you kind of blending that with getting the property set up? What's what's going on? Well, you guys better buckle up for a wild ride. <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been uh, pretty crazy since you guys have left my place. Um, so a few years back, we sold our homestead. It really wasn't the, we had about 10 acres and cows and goats and chickens and all that jazz. But uh, it wasn't really in a place that we were really can, happy with, and we were looking for, figured we'd sell while the market was good, and then uh, hopefully, you know, the market would adjust and we'd get back in. Well, <laughs> you know, it's been a wild ride, and uh, fortunately, we've been really blessed, and we picked up, uh, we picked up a little over fifty acres, and um, it's got, <clears throat> there's no house and uh but it's got a spring and it's got a pond it's got a creek and it's just a beautiful piece of property with some timber and some pasture and it's really you know everything that we've always wanted on a piece of property so now all that's lacking is like a whole lot of work <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah uh, you know fence needs built infrastructure needs built it's just a blank canvas and so um, I've been <clears throat> trying to balance the knife work and, um, you know, just basically my business has kind of been put in autopilot. Uh, I'm just fulfilling orders. Everything's on back order right now. I'm still trying to get orders out in a timely fashion. So, you know, knives are typically shipping within a week or two, uh, sometimes a lot of times within a couple of days, but 
the property is two and a half hours from where I live. So I've been camping out there, uh, built a little tiny house to stay in while I'm working on the property. And we're just trying to get everything going as quick as possible. Um, unfortunately, you know, help is hard to find. And so a lot of it's just me, you know, me and my kids. Yeah. My boys have been helping, uh, you know, the whole family's been kicking in and doing stuff and, and, uh, so yeah, we're just super, super busy. Yep. That is, that is a lot to tackle. And there's a lot of people listening that are probably somewhere on that journey, you know, either, either done that and, and, uh, building it up or in transition or thinking about doing that soon. And, you know, I know we're talking about knives, but I'm curious for you as a homesteader, what was important to you when you were looking at property at buying property? So since you just went through this, um, you know, from your perspective, what were you looking for uh, as you were buying a piece of property to homestead on? You know, <laughs> it, it's really bad because the older you get and the more, you know, the more, you know, guidelines you kind of put in place of what you really are looking for. So for us, our previous property was right by a commercial hog operation. And so that was a very eye-opening thing of like, hey, we don't want to be anywhere around a commercial hog operation, turkey barn. Uh, a lot of that stuff is is prevalent here because we have abundance of water and we have just, um, it's just a good place. You know, they, they can tap the aquifers and then they get free water for their livestock and, um, but what it leaves you with is a lot of undesirable land. You know, you got the smells from this, you know, commercial operations. You got the traffic, the semi trucks. And uh, we even, <laughs> unfortunately, we even had a, a dead pig in our yard one time from, you know, they were hauling um, diseased pigs or something and was like just trucks overloaded with, with it and it ended up in our yard. And it, it's just not something you want to live by, you know, it's like nobody wants to live wow. by a landfill. Um, so, you know, and then concerns with 4g and satellites and all these kind of things today, we, we were just really looking for a piece of property that could, we had a good buffer zone from, you know, commercial farming spraying. Uh, you know, we've had problems in the past with farmers that uh, there's a lot of Mennonite and Amish around a lot of them lose all their fruit trees because of a uh, aerial spraying. The overdrift just kills their fruit trees. Mm. And so it's just hard to own enough property to buffer yourself from, from your neighbors, you know, and unfortunately some of these farming practices affect everybody around. Um, so we were looking for a lot <laughs> and we found a property that ticked off just about everything that we were looking for save it wasn't really in the exact location that we were you know wanting but it's still in a good location that we want it to be so uh we pulled the trigger made the plunge and now we're uh full speed ahead so very cool sounds like you've got good water good good balance of timber and pasture and uh i mean yeah. that's a what a what an amazing foundation oh this property's got a spring house and just water bubbling out of the ground and and it's just it's crazy I, I don't know. There's something about a spring, you know, you can drill a, a well and have water come out of the ground, but when you have the water just bubbling out of the ground and you know, it's got a spring old spring house, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel very blessed having that water source right there, you know, 
not going to the store and buying some brand that tells you it's natural spring water <laughs> like yeah so. yeah that's we're in the same boat with that our, our water comes out of the ground and that that just you know that's not not everybody can get that we're blessed to you're blessed to find it and and that is it just feels like the it's just it's like the gift the land's giving you you know it's the same similar water had you drilled but um yeah that's that's really neat yeah well very cool and uh wished you all the best just on getting that set up you've got uh good family to jump in there with you and and uh start tackling that and and uh i'm gonna I'm going to give a little pitch and say, hey, you got to go check out the class we did after yours with Nicholas Bertner, where we talk about homestead uh, design and planning and like laying out your whole homestead and, uh, you know, getting those pieces because you're you're one of the rare few that are getting to start from scratch, which is which is pretty cool. You're going to set it up how you want to. I do say uh, so there is a there is an infrastructure on the there's a barn that we're going to be converting into a, a house and a shop. Um but yeah, we, my wife and I, we talked about like design and what we wanted in a house and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, I said, I don't really want to get too many ideas set in place until we have the property because the property really dictates where things are going to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and so much. And, and here, if we would have had a plan for a house, you know, our dream house or whatever, but it didn't fit with the property, well, then now you got a problem. So yeah, that uh i do want to watch that i haven't watched that um class that you guys just put out but i i know of nicholas and and i'm sure it's excellent and uh you know a lot of the time <laughs> unfortunately right now I'm, you know but there is no there's never too much pre-planning that somebody can do and uh for you know forethought put into a project um so yeah i'll check it out yeah no good good points about just designing for the land and and like some people have their dream home but that you're going to go on a property you want to you want to blend that into the property not just plop some some you know architectural design on it and uh, so that, that's a really good little bit of wisdom there well hey let's uh let's turn toward knives here a little bit that's the subject at hand and and uh great to just hear a little bit about what's going on with you and just talk homesteading in general but tell us um you know, before we get into some of the like details, tell us, you know, kind of how and more so why you, you got into sharpening knives, why this became your thing. Well, uh, <laughs> I was just listening to somebody the other day um, saying that, you know, our generation, we've we've grown up with this uh, doom and gloom just around the corner, you know, Y2K and, you know, all these events that are going to just you know, society's going to fall apart. And, um, you know, I got into kind of some survival type training, bushcrafting, camping type things. And, and one of the most important tools is a knife, you know, like when you get back to the, the basic core tools that a person needs, a knife is really foundational. You know, you're talking about, um, food, food procurement, processing food, building things uh you know everything we use a knife every day whether that be you know a pair of scissors cutting a piece of paper or you know building a house cutting you know cutting boards or processing animals eating our food you know a knife cutting instruments are really down there at the foundational tools that a person needs and so i wanted to gain the skills to be able to not only just sharpen any knife or tool that i'm using 
but to be able to make them from, um, you know, very minimal, you know, I had the dream of being able to pick up a, a railroad spike off of the train track and forge it into a tool that was going to be useful to me. And, uh, you can even get down to where like you make the steel where you get the, get the, you know, get your steel and, and mix it all together and fire it in a forge and make an ingot. Um, the name is slipping my mind, <clears throat> but like they do in Japan, I have yet to do that. Maybe one of these days when I have all this free time, I'll, <laughs> I'll tackle that one. But for now, you know, I started out forging knives, sharpening knives, forging knives, and, and now doing primarily stock removal. But yeah, knives are, are an everyday tool that, that everybody uses. So yeah, that's really a great point. They're like one of the most obvious but overlooked tools on the homestead as far as just us giving some thought to them and how important they are and, you know, how much we use them and, you know, and, and hence how to take care of them, you know, how to deal with them, how to choose them, how to take care of them. And so they're, they're really essential. And man, the way you describe it, it's like, it's an extension of our hand, right? Most of us as homesteaders have a knife on our side, in our pocket or around our neck, the way Patrick does. And, uh, you know, easily accessible, uh, besides knives in the kitchen and, and knives in the garden and, you know, chainsaws and all those are knives, you guys. So as we're talking, you think about a knife, like a kitchen knife or a pocket knife, but, you know, an ax is a knife, a chainsaw is a knife, you know, your pruners are a knife, they're a cutting instrument. And so all of this applies to all of that. And we just, there, there would be no homesteading without, without that tool. So it almost goes without saying at this point, but, but, you know, just why is it so important to think about this a little bit and, and have, you know, a sharp knife for any job? Well, any, anybody that's had to use like old fashioned, you know, saws, planers, or, you know, even, I mean, everybody's used a knife in a kitchen, right? Like how many times have you been frustrated with your knife being dull? you go to open something and it just takes so much effort. And, you know, quite frankly, most people are using butter knives for every cutting task they, they need and they don't understand. And even I, when I got into sharpening, I had no idea what a sharp knife could do or what it, what, what it even was. <clears throat> and when you learn what sharp truly is, you're not satisfied with anything else, you know, if you have to apply force to the cut, you're probably not using a sharp knife. There's, there should be minimal force required. So it's going to save you time. It's going to save you energy. And it's just going to give you more satisfaction having a sharp tool. And you're going to have a better overall quality of whatever you're doing, whether that's woodworking or cutting meat or, you know, whatever it is, having that tool sharp is critical to just having quality work and, uh, you know, effortless work that's enjoyable. So, you know, you, you see these sushi, sushi chefs and they're slicing that thin piece of meat and it just looks so effortless. They would never be working with a dull knife, you know, and, you know, while we might not all be a sushi chef that is trying to cut these super fine cuts of meat, we all will have an advantage having sharp tools in our kitchen. And I'm sure that you've experienced that, you know, just, you know, we've 
talked a lot about sharpening. It's just, it's just a joy and a pleasure to use a sharp tool. Yeah. It, it, it takes what can be drudgery. It's kind of like, you know, dull knife is kind of like your garden being overrun with weeds, you know, that just there's stuff in the way it makes the job hard. But when, when, you know, that knife is sharp and you're breaking down a chicken, it's enjoyable. It's fun. You know, when you're cutting through watermelon, whatever it is you're doing, I, you know, I, I've been sitting here thinking about chainsaws just because the other day I was watching my son, you know, uh, we were testing out one of those battery operated chainsaws uh, for light work around here, pruning and, and different things and making it quick and easy to grab. And he hit something with metal and he just kept on going. And I watched him go from like, he was just cruising right through it real easy to all of a sudden he's like working the chainsaw. And I'm like, maybe you want to stop and just go ahead and trade the chain out because that that work doesn't look fun that way you know and besides right. it being inefficient so yeah just there's efficiency and and uh making your jobs enjoyable to do yeah when it comes to chainsaws like we don't feel it because the chainsaw is doing all the work but man uh, you do feel it if you're, if you're lugging around a heavy chainsaw you don't want to be carrying that for any longer than you have to and boy it's just nice cutting through a piece of wood and these big old curls coming out off the bar um, just piling up you know I like watching those cutting competitions and man they're they're just flat flying through that log like butter and none of that's possible with a dull a dull chain so no and you you think that power machine oh well i'll still just power through it and we all do it i do it at times i'm like out there doing the job and like i don't want to change the chain out or sharp it take the time to sharpen it and it's really kind of not very smart because you even though it's a chainsaw you still are having to work your way through instead of like slicing it like butter and and i think we all do that we do that in the kitchen we do that even our pocket knives and it's like oh, i'll sharpen it later you know and you put it away forget about it and you come back next time and you're like oh i didn't sharpen it this is a pain and so that just it's just so important and i think there's some some good safety things to think about too uh with you know sharpening a knife as far as like that duller instrument can be a lot more dangerous than a sharp knife. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, and real quick, I'll touch on the chainsaw. What people don't realize too with the chainsaw is when you're cutting with a dull chain, you'll actually stretch that chain out. You're causing more wear and tear on the, the sprocket, on the motor, on all of it. So even though you might not be doing the work, you're destroying that chainsaw. You need it sharp. And, like just like that when it comes to safety when we have a dull knife we're having to really push hard into cuts and that's when it gets really dangerous because what's going to happen is is that knife's going to come out of the cut and if you're pulling to you or even if you're pushing away from you you know injuries are sustained a lot of times from a dull knife and just applying too much pressure and when that knife goes you know, you d you can't just stop it. You know, there's too much kinetic energy there built up and it's just looking for trouble. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a, it's a accident waiting to happen. Um, that's, you know, really too using the right tool for the right job. Um, I had a friend that had one of my knives and, um, I said, don't, you know, don't use the knife to cut zip ties or, you know, cut plastic and stuff like that because plastic binds that blade. There's a binding action that happens and then you have to apply more force to get it through. Well, there's a smart way to do it 
and then there's a way there's the other way to do it um and a lot of times you know say like cutting through a zip tie it's going to cut through a little bit but then it's going to bind and you got to put tremendous force on there to get it to go through and so you know this particular friend was cutting open a plastic package or something and slipped and and laid her knuckle open she said she's like she's seen inside the joint she thought she she actually thought she cut her finger off um she didn't she came close but um it's just it's just dangerous so if i were if i was going to cut a zip tie or something a lot of times i'll stick the point in the in the zip tie and i'll pivot off of whatever it's you know which that's creating a lot of pressure on whatever is zip tied so if it if you don't like say if it's a cable like a phone cable or something and you go to pivot on it you're you're crushing whatever that is so you know just using wisdom using uh you know logic leverage uh mechanical advantage and and sharp tools there's there's a lot to uh working smart with a sharp instrument and just learning you know kind of the the physics behind it and how to be careful in what you're doing realizing when the more force that you're putting on that blade where where, the direction that force is and make sure that there's nothing in the way of it you know when it cuts loose if it does so yeah some good safety tips and and keep a sharp knife but uh learn how to use it well instead of all that extra force from a dull knife that ends up getting you hurt well let's let's um Let's dive in a little bit about sharpening knives here. And so if if I was looking to get started sharpening my existing knives, what are the first things I need to think about? Like just from, from the knife, I've, I've got, you know, four knives laid out here in various conditions, maybe some just average kitchen knives, maybe some older ones that I'm really wanting to rehab. But, you know, how, how do I approach just thinking about, sharpening can i do this myself do i need to do something else to get started you know but i'm wanting to you know move towards just maintaining my knives better well there's a really good course (laughs) that we put together it kind of talks about all these steps but the first thing you know we're going to do is we're going to well you got to have the tools to do so the knowledge on how to do it uh but we're going to look at those knives and we're going to inspect them see what kind of shape they're in see what kind of damage they have whether or not the blade is straight. Um, And then you want to make sure you have some good sets of stones. You want to kind of understand what angles um, are are the proper angle for the tool that you're using. Um, And a lot of times that's just matching whatever the factory already has on it. But then the nice thing about sharpening uh, knives yourself is you can, you can cater that to however you use the knife. Uh, I recently put a really fine edge on my neck knife. I was trying to achieve some levels of sharpness that I hadn't achieved before. And, um, That's hard and, to imagine, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got this new tester and it's, it's, uh, I, I spent probably three hours sharpening the other day trying to, to, uh, get better points. Um, <laughs> just trying to achieve new levels of sharpness. Um, but anyways, I, uh, so then I went out and using my knife on the property and stuff. And man, I've, I've chipped up and damaged my blade because, you know, a sharp knife is nice, but, uh, you know, you need toughness, you know, you need for, for every day. So you can cater that edge to however you're going to use the knife. It's fine to have a super thin edge and, and just super slicey, but you're going to keep that edge for jobs that are not 
abusive on it, you know, or not like maybe your everyday usage. Uh, my neck knife gets used and abused and, and sometimes I use it for things that I shouldn't because I can sharpen it. So it's really not a big deal. If I damage the edge, it, you know, just matter of, you know, taking it back to the stones and fixing it. I do try to keep it fairly sharp because of one, because it's what I do for a living. So if I show somebody my knife, I don't want them to be like, Oh, this thing, <laughs> this thing. Looks <laughs> but two, you know, I like to carry two as one, one as none. I like to have multiple knives on me ones for dirty work and ones for, you know, Hey, I need a sharp knife and I need it now. So. Yeah. So on that, on that kind of just thinking about getting started, you, you talked about inspecting the knife. And so, um, you know, a bent knife, you know, was one thing you mentioned. So that's something you probably just want to put that knife aside. I mean, I know you could get into straightening, but that's a whole different discussion. So we'll just assume that knife goes to the side. Like probably you don't want to use that knife without some deeper rehabilitation. Are there any other things you want people to look at? Like just deciding, is this knife worth picking up and sharpening and taking care of? Are there some other things that kind of just say, yeah, this either needs to go to a professional to get rehabbed or just isn't worth using at all besides a bent knife? Yeah. You know, if you got one of those knives with a plastic handle and the handles falling halfway off of it, you know, the quality of the steel is probably junk. Yeah. <laughs> that one you might just set aside. Um, you know, when you're looking at a knife, you want to find a knife that <clears throat> has decent steel. Uh, we talk about that in the class about how to identify knives, but, um, a lot of times you're, you know, your, your main like old hickory, uh, Kershaw, you know, any of your big, um, common older knives, they're, they're pretty good steel. You want safety is a factor. You want to make sure that the handles are securely attached. You don't have major chips or pitting. Um, if a knife needs a whole lot of work, I, I always suggest that people send it off to be sharpened and then use the knife. And the minute it quits cutting, you know, go back to it and, and try to sharpen it because it's an achievable goal. You need to set yourself achievable goals that you're not going to get discouraged and, um, give up on sharpening. It takes me a long time to sharpen knives by hand that haven't been sharpened in a really long time or that have a lot of damage. So just learning, um, you know, practicing on knives that need a little bit of work, not that are just been trashed. Yeah. What about, before we move on, what about rust and how much is a knife? If it's rusty, how much, how do you know, is this knife retrievable? You've got a knife that you feels like it's a good fit. You like the blade, but for whatever reason, you know, it, it got really rusty. Where's, any guideline for like, where do I say this knife's too far gone versus, yeah, I'm going to try to rehabilitate this and, and, you know, take some of the measures to, to deal with the rust. Rust doesn't scare me a whole lot, but um, I mean, if it, if it's pitting in the steel and you can know, you can rub your fingernail on it. If it's, you know, once you clean up the rust, you know, you can use, there's lots of different ways to clean up rust. You can use some sort of abrasive, uh, like barkeeper's friend, or you could use some sort of rust eraser or they sell like this evapor rust stuff that vinegar just will, I think vinegar takes off rust. Um, <clears throat> but um, once the rust is cleaned up, you, you can tell like how far it's eaten into the steel. And if it's eaten a lot, like if that edge, if you look down that edge and it, you know, it's all wavy and have divots out of it where their rust has, 
has uh, eaten that steel away. That knife can be repaired, but it's probably best to just find a different knife and, and work with it. <clears throat> but if it's just surface rust that hasn't eaten down into the steel a whole lot, you know, not a big deal. Yeah, cool. It's good. Those are good tips. So let's talk about sharpening methods. There's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different tools for sharpening a knife from water stones to wet stones to electric sharpeners, to a lot of different handheld gizmos that have got diamond sharpeners, whatnot, all the way up to, you know, pretty fancy, you know, powered sharpeners. Like there's electric ones, you know, like the kitchen chefs or whatever they are, you know, kind of yeah. kitchen top ones. And then there's ones that, that somebody that sharpens a lot might use, you know, um, you've got one kind of one with a motor that, that takes a lot of metal off fast, but you got to really know how to use it. Well, what, what, where do you recommend people, to start, let's just go there. You know, where should yeah. people start if they're going to start learning to sharpen? Well, you know, with building anything, we got to start with the foundation. And the foundation for sharpening is is, is learning how to sharpen by hand. Um, you know, a motorcycle will get you there faster, but you should probably hop on a bicycle first. And, you know, when you fall off a bicycle, it's not near as bad as falling off a motorcycle at 60 mile an hour. So, yeah. um, you know, learning how to freehand sharpen, learning, you know, how to hold the right angles and all that kind of stuff is going to benefit you learning how to raise the burr. All that's going to help you utilize any other jig or machine. Um, it's just going to make you more efficient. So I always recommend people learn how to hand sharpen first and go from there. Any type of machine or gadget, is going to have limitations and really if you don't have the knowledge of what you're looking for and how to achieve it then those machines can kind of help you but only to some extent right we can throw bumper rails in the bowling alley but it's not helping kids hit strikes all the time right <laughs> you know right. It's, it's keeping the ball traveling in the right direction but it's not making you a good bowler so um you know, same with these jigs and stuff. You learn how to sharpen by hand, become proficient at it, and then you can step up to the machines and learn how to use them effectively. Um, really, I mean, you only want to remove enough steel to get that edge on the knife. So, you know, a lot of beginner uh, people using machines, they just destroy knives. They gouge them. They just take way too much steel off. They miss areas of the blade. Um, so just learn, learn the foundations. I, I like the analogy of riding the bike and learn to ride a bike before you get on the motorcycle. And I, I think that for the average user, the bike being like the hand sharpening is going to suffice. There's some, a lot of people just don't ever even need to get on that motorcycle. Right. Unless, you know, unless you're really doing a high volume or something after you've kind of mastered the craft, most people I think can stick with hand if they're maintaining their knives you know, what you teach and what I learned from you is you can, you know, you can tune that knife up pretty quick. If you need to rehab it, you can take a little bit of time. But if you're taking care of it after you've rehabbed it, it really doesn't take that much time. So the investment in machinery isn't really even needed. And I would say like, and, and just confirm this or not, you know, for the average homestead or, um, you know, kitchen gardener, whatever, they're going to be able to stick with a hand method if they learn it well and be pretty efficient. Is that true? 
Yeah, I mean, there's an economy of scale, and anytime you use a machine and there's jigs involved, there's time setting it up. Unless you have a dedicated place for that machine, and even then, I mean, if you gotta if you gotta take your knives to the machine and do it, versus having a stone that you can take with you wherever you're working and be able to just you know quickly touch up your edge. Um, nine times out of ten, like I have machines at my disposal, but a lot of times I'll go to my stones to touch up my knife because it's just faster, you know, Yeah. I don't have to set up a jig or do any of that kind of stuff. And, and I mean, I know you can use a, a machine freehand as well. Um, but the stones, you know, if you're staying on top of your knife, the way that you should, your knife shouldn't need to go to a machine. Most of the time, you know, the old timers used to say you sharpen a knife once and you strop it, you know, 50 times or whatever. So a lot of times people would sharpen knives, and then just strop them and, you know, maintain that edge. Um, you can strop all you want. It's not going to take care of a chip, you know, so, yeah. or, you know, real bad blade damage. So I don't strop as much as some people do. Uh, it's got a time and a place, but, you know, well, that's stuff that we cover in the class. So cool. Honing down on, on, so just like, let's stay away from the machines. We're hand sharpening. You're talking a lot about stones. Where, what, what, what's kind of, what kind of stones do you recommend? Where's the the best place to start or just to even exist if you're going to, you know, hand sharpen with those stones? So, you know, you got diamond stones, you got oil stones, you got wet water stones. There's so many different types of stones. Uh, I really recommend somebody get a good medium grit stone, like the King 1000. It's a great starting place. And you could actually do everything with just that one stone. Uh, I do recommend that somebody picks up, you know, a finer stone, like a King 6000. Um, with those stones, they served me well for many years. Uh, now I've gotten into, you know, all different kinds of diamond stones, natural stones, water stones. Uh, I don't do a whole lot with oil stones. But that is a <laughs> you know it's kind of like it's 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 anything right so you can you can drink Folgers coffee or you can get into espresso and custom roasted and all these grinders and you know it's like where do you stop so for me sharpening um is a passion it's something that i i find enjoyment in and i've tried every you know i'm i'm still trying new stones and trying you know, different things. And, you know, that's, if you get into sharpening and, and you don't advance past just the, you know, King thousand grit stone and 6,000 grit stone, fine, you know, great. But it is kind of, it can be one of those deals where you get into it and you just want to, you know, you want to go down that trail of experimenting with different stones and trying different things. And yeah, I've, I've sunk a lot of money on different stones. Yeah. <laughs> I know what to buy and what not to buy. So, well, that's good. And that's, that's why we're enjoying getting to talk to you. And so I think, you know, with that, all, all that experience, uh, you know, I think what you're saying in there is the, like that Kingstone is a water stone. And so uh, uh, a average costing water stone, I think if I'm understanding you right, is where you would kind of send people to. Yeah. That's, that's going to suffice again for, for most people for their knife sharpening, you know, career to be proficient on the homestead somewhere right in there. Is that right? 
Yeah, and the thing to keep in mind is it's skills, not tools. Like, it's the skill of sharpening. Like, everybody wants to – they think that they need this different tool or different stone to be successful, but I can do some pretty crazy, amazing stuff with just a King Thousand Grit Waterstone. So, you know, you can't necessarily get the same results from a brick, you know, which you can sharpen a knife on a brick you're not going to get the same results on a brick. However, you know, like where it really, really comes down to it, it is a skill. And, you know, we see this with like painting, right? You can give somebody that knows how to paint some mud and a white, you know, wall, and they're going to create some masterpiece. And you can give me, you know, the most elaborate paint setup in the world. And, and you might see some better work from a five-year-old. So, <laughs> <laughs> you and me both brother <laughs> that's great um all right well there you go you guys you know be thinking about those water stones simple tools and learning the skill i love that patrick um learning the skill and uh you know then you 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 really have a lot of choices so talking about skill a little bit obviously we can't dive into a lot of details here and and patrick's got resources we've got resources with patrick over the skill, school traditional skills but let's just talk about one thing that a lot of people do you know discuss and look at with sharpening stones or sharpening knives and that is the correct way in the correct direction and what i'm honing down is is pushing or pulling or both what yeah. you know what's what's the right action in your opinion uh if you're building that skill um to use Potatoes, potato. <laughs> I always say, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Um, I do the what I primarily do uh, edge trailing strokes, meaning I'm when I once I've established an edge and I'm sharp, you know, now I'm just honing the blade. Uh, I'm treating the blade like I would on a leather strop. And, you know, when it comes to leather, you can't go the other way, right? If you try to take a, a knife on a strop, and slice into it you're going to cut that strop in two so um once you've established an edge i i do edge trailing strokes on all my stones and i think some of the argument is as well it creates a bigger burr and you don't want a burr and you know whatever it's like i don't care if you want to do edge leading strokes on your stones you go right ahead and there are people that get knives super sharp doing that um on some of these water stones that I use, they're super soft and just like a strop. If you're, if you're cutting into the stone, you're going to nick that stone. You're going to, you're going to gouge that stone. Um, a lot of the way I learned was a, a kind of traditional Japanese style sharpening and they do edge trailing and it, it works great. So, you know, you experiment with it. If you want to do edge leading strokes, you go right ahead. Um, I can say, in all my years of sharpening uh i've found the best results with edge trailing strokes if there's something on the stone you're going to kind of glide over it um as versus you know cutting into the stone you're, you're ramming that edge into whatever you know is on that stone so that's uh it's something that people just like to debate because some people just like to argue so yeah well and and you know Everybody's got their method, and I know that yours works. Patrick has what he calls beyond razor sharp 
and his knives uh, when he takes them all away are beyond razor sharp and a term called tree topping most of us think about a sharp knife if we can if we can run that blade down our arm a little bit right and the hairs pop off that knife is sharp but patrick's knives you can run them across your hairs without having the resistance of the skin at the base of that hair and that's the barometer for sharp and uh tree topping i couldn't figure out what you were talking about when i first heard that term but uh that's that's how sharp you guys can get a knife if um you know you listen to patrick's wisdom here and dig into him a little bit more and uh patrick where can people find you to to come uh, learn more about uh, you what you're doing where where do you want to send people um i've gone off grid you can't find me anymore no (laughs) you can go to to mtknives.net um i'm on instagram and facebook and uh that's about youtube um the best way to get a hold of me is to email me, you know, Patrick at mtknives.net. Uh, if I don't, sometimes I'll miss email. So shoot it again. If you don't get a response within, you know, a week, um, I try to respond to emails faster than that. But the truth of the matter is, is sometimes I don't, I got, I got 10 kids, got a big farm now and a, a business that keeps me busy. So I'll do my That's best. Good living. That's good living. So, Yep. That's uh, the best way to get a hold of me. And if you have any questions, I'd be more than happy to help out however I can. Right on. Well, thanks, Patrick. Thanks you guys all for showing up today and, and uh, watching or listening wherever you're at. And I hope this was helpful. Go dig some of those knives out of the drawer and tune them up and, and uh, find out what it's like to use a properly sharp knife and what a joy it is. So thanks again, Patrick. It's been great hanging with you and everybody else. I will see you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pantry Chat, Food for Thought. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. To view the show notes and any other resources mentioned on this episode, you can learn more at homesteadingfamily.com slash podcast. We'll see you soon. Goodbye.